One of the big questions of history has to do with one of our obsessions as Americans, leadership. Now, who in the world were the greatest leaders in the world? Who would we put on that list? And it's funny, when you go onto the internet for the top 10 greatest leaders of the world, you get a very interesting, different set of lists, depending on who's putting that list together. But a couple of people show up pretty much on every list right now in our modern world. And that first person is Gandhi, and the second is Martin Luther King Jr. Both people who are considered incredibly great leaders, incredibly um, great men who led people to a, a greater world, a greater place. And this is really what leadership is about. It leads and calls people, gives a promise to a greater world, to a greater vision, to a greater opportunity, to a correction of our moral lives in the past. And in fact, what's beautiful is that these become great men, great leaders because of what they go through, what they press through, the difficulties that they enter into. And yet what's strange is also on some of these lists are three other people that tend to show up. And they match the same description. People had a great vision of a greater future in their mind and would go through great suffering in order to bring about their great vision. And those three people were Che Guevara, which is interesting, uh, Hitler, and Mao Zedong. And these three men who actually in their great vision and their great attempt to bring about a greater world ended up murdering millions of human beings, ended up entering into some of the most genocidal and insane situations and bringing about great human evil, though they were able to galvanize and lead many people to the promise that they had given. This is one of the difficulties when we come to talking about the new and improved. When we talk about new and improved leadership, we just have to back up a minute and realize sin even is going to mess that up, right? Sin messes up everything. Like we've said, if you take away um, the power from the powerful, you get a, 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 you know, an oppressed sinner. But if you get a, a oppressed sinner, you give him power, he just becomes a powerful sinner. Whether they're great leaders or not so great leaders, we see that sin corrupts everything. You're like, even Gandhi and Martin Luther King Jr.? Well, unfortunately for Martin Luther King Jr., we know that it's come out that he was a womanizer and that he was a hypocrite in that area of his own faith. And while great for the sake of our racial reconciliation and, and great in the way that he went about it, yeah, there was sin there. When we look at Gandhi, Gandhi was great in his passive response to the British to bring about India as independence. But when you begin to dive in and look at, his, uh, look at what he could have done in destroying the caste system and raising up an entire group of untouchables to a level of equality, he held on to the caste system, which continues to kill millions of people through, their, through this caste system of distaste and karma and these kinds of things. You dig into any leader far enough, you dig into any human being far enough in this side of the, new hum of the old humanity, and you will find sin is even corrupting it. Whether it's the corruptions of their leadership and what they bring about, or even whether it's just in their character. I mean, this is the very story of the Old Testament. This is the very story of someone like King David, great leader only to find sin in him, and we see the ultimate failure. We're not supposed to be afraid of the failures of our leaders. In fact, I believe God is trying to show us something. He's trying to show us that in human beings, we, we, we can put our hope in leaders, but it's always going to disappoint. We can't improve our way to the greater leadership. We need a new kind of leader. We need a new humanity without sin. And you know where I'm going with this. And because it's Christmas, man, 
because of Christmas, everything is improved and about to be made new. And that includes leadership. That includes government. That includes all of these things that we are so obsessed with currently in our political culture, in our age where we are seeking that leader who's going to take us to the new horizon, who's going to solve our economic, environmental um, divides, all these kinds of situations that we're in. But how is it that because of Christmas, everything is improved and about to be made new? Well, again, it's because Jesus is this new humanity. And he is something we've all been looking for. See, we've been looking for a leader since the beginning. Since the original Adam and Eve, since the original humanity, we have been seeking out for a leader because what we did was that original leader, the creator himself, who designed us to follow him, right? If something's designed, it's designed to follow the rules it's designed by. Well, our creator designed us to follow him. We're made in his image, the scripture says, and we rejected him. We pushed him away. The apostle Paul writing to the churches in Rome, he put it this way when he was reflecting on said, although they knew God, Although God reveals himself in creation, although God reveals himself through logic, although God reveals himself with abundances of evidence, they knew God. They did not honor him as God. They didn't want to bring him into their life as their leader. They didn't want to bring him into life and submit to him. They didn't give thanks to him. They became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. That term futile is always in the Old Testament connected to idolatry, uh, taking on something else as their God and their leader. And so claiming to be wise, they became fools. We as human beings exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the images resembling mortal man, that would be human leaders, birds and animals and creeping things, those would be our idols. And what we've come to is we've really just come to a place where we seek and long for leadership. We seek and long for a God to lead us, for some kind of leader to lead us, and we struggle. This is a deep-seated human desire. I don't think it's a wrong desire. I think it's just a human desire because we've been separated from our God. We long for a leader. We long for one who's going to teach us. And humanity was seeking that. Cain, when he felt, when he was pushed away from the garden at the beginning of the Bible, he sought a way to stay connected. He built a city. He became a king. We see this with Nimrod as he builds Babel. They want to make a name for themselves. They want to make themselves into gods. Humanity has done this over and over and over again. Pharaoh made into a god. Caesar made into a god. We even still do this. We turn our celebrities into gods today. We turn our people, maybe not literally into gods, but we want to worship them. The Buddha became this in many ways. Muhammad becomes this for some. We find a very real sense that we turn our leaders into our deities, into those that we are willing to give everything to and follow after. And this is just a human situation. But God knew our hearts needed something. God knew because we were separated from Him that we needed a leader. And so God promised a leader. Over and over and over again, if you'll read carefully the Old Testament, you will come to realize what God is doing constantly while revealing our sin and our mistakes, all of our garbage and problems, He's promised a coming leader. It actually begins way back when Adam and Eve, the original humanity that messed all this up and brought sin and death in the world, when they were being judged, God gave Adam, uh, gave actually um, gave Eve this promise. He says, I will put enmity, I will put a division, I'll put a fight between you and the woman, 
talking to the serpent, and between your offspring, so you, that word offspring is seed, your seed, Mr. Serpent, your seed, Satan, or your followers, your offspring, and her offspring, her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. There will be a crushing that happens, but he will destroy evil. There's a promise of a leader that's coming, and it was promised to Israel, who will overcome evil. Oh my gosh, isn't that the human desire? What if there was a leader who could actually bring us to true justice? What if there was a leader who could actually bring us to true moral goodness, the right social ways of living, the right kinds of families, the right kinds of relationships, the right kinds of economics and society? That would be the leader we would get behind. The one who breaks the great promise of a greater future, of a greater world. This is what's behind every leader. And God promised us that there'd be one who would overcome the evil of this world. And what's strange, though, and many have pointed this out, it's going to come from the seed of a woman. And by the way, women don't have seed. Men have seed. Women have eggs, right? This is known throughout history. The, the seed of a woman is a very, very odd reference. But hold that in your mind because the promise of that leader is going to come from that. But there was another promise, the promise of a leader who would not just bring about the good, but he would be one who leads us and points us to God, to the ultimate reality, to, to the one who really knows this world. It's actually found in Deuteronomy. And um, I'll back up here for a second and just read it to you. It says, The Lord your God promises to raise up a prophet like me, Moses is speaking, uh, to, from among you for your brothers. It is him you shall listen to. And what Moses is doing is saying, there will be one who is a leader who's going to point you to God, who's going to bring about a knowledge of God, who's going to bring about an import of God. This continues on as he promises in Isaiah another thing. In fact, he's promising to a king Ahaz, a descendant of David, that this leader would come. He says, again, Yahweh spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of Yahweh your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I'm not going to ask, and I will not put Yahweh to the test. He's like, I'm not listening to you, prophet. You're crazy. I'm not going to ask God for something. And he says, Hear then, O house of David. Is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? And so then he concludes, Therefore Yahweh himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and he shall name, and his name shall be Emmanuel, God with us. The combination of the prophet's call of Moses saying, there was going to be one who displays God to you like I brought you out and I saved you guys from Egypt, so there's going to be one who comes and saves you, but he's going to be uh, like me in that way, empowered by God. But then there's this one who's a seed of a woman from a virgin, and this one's going to be God with us. That's what the name Emmanuel means. It's going to point us to God. It's actually going to be God in our presence. And this is incredible. It, it goes on to actually say this um, would be God on earth with us. He, he says in Isaiah chapter uh, 9, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government is going to be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. What? Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This one is going to bring a good world, a perfect world. Here is this child, this Emmanuel child being spoken of, who is coming in, and this one's going to be the mighty God, the everlasting Father. So it's lining up with all the other promises. And then he says this, Of the increase of his government and of peace, there's going to be no end. 
So peace is going to grow. The throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and uphold it with justice, the righteousness from this time forth forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. You see what God's doing? Say, no, not really. Think about it again. If we long for a leader who's not just going to point us to the good and overcome evil, but he's going to set up a government that's righteous, that's just, that's good. It's going to have peace. There's no war. There's no anger and all this vitriol, no divisions. He's going to establish it. He's going to uphold it. There's going to be righteousness, a right connection with God, and it's going to last forever. This is the promise of the leader that God gave to us. He knew we needed it. He knew we needed a new leader, someone who was going to point us in a new direction. Adam had failed as that original leader. Every leader since then has failed. Sin has corrupted the system, and yet he says, Hey guys, I've got a promise for you. I want you to look forward for a leader. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Here's what he's going to look like. He's going to be of the seed of a woman. He's going to be somebody who points us back to God. In fact, it will be God on earth walking with you, and he's going to put up and set up an entire world of his governing. He's going to be king. He's going to be God on earth. It's going to be an incredible, incredible reality, right? Well, these promises would kind of disappear in the mists of history. The reason why is because the Jewish people, number one, had begun to reject God. They, they began to walk away to the point where they weren't listening anymore. And so in comes this nation called Babylon to crush Israel and exile them completely. And so Assyria takes them out, Babylon takes them out, and suddenly there is no people of Israel, no Jewish people any longer in the Promised Land. And they finally get a little bit of an opportunity to come home, but not all of them do. They kind of stay scattered. And the line of David, who is supposed to bring this about, this throne of David, vanishes. It's never reestablished. In fact, we see that while Jerusalem's rebuilt and the temple's rebuilt and things happen that's in the book of Nehemiah and Ezra, it kind of closes into history and vanishes. And there's this big fight called the, um, uh, the Maccabean revolt, revolt and they, they win their freedom, but no one from the throne of David ever sits down on it again. In fact, what we see is this one who shows up named Herod isn't even Jewish. He's half Jewish at the best. He's an Idumean, something completely different. And he is taking the throne because Rome's giving it to him. All the promises, all the hopes of this leadership, all this stuff dashed and gone, and yet in their hearts they were hoping, they knew, coming soon would be this leader. And that is where Christmas comes in. And you can see it as Matthew kind of displays it. And if you got your Bible, open it up. Matthew chapter 1. I wanted you guys to see this and look at it in your own text. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Grab out a Bible, pull open an app, press pause, whatever you need to do. I know it's live for some of you, so just hustle out and go grab it. Open it up. All right. If you're there, Matthew is writing his biography of his leader Jesus, the one that he was following. And he writes down how Jesus' birth comes. We know this is Christmas. And he says this, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So Joseph who is betrothed. And this is a long process that takes a year in which they are waiting to get married to the final consummation of the marriage, finds his wife is pregnant, not by him. And now he has to go through a whole honor-shame situation in their culture, big, big deal, but um, we'll save that for another time. And he decides, you know what, I'm not going to have her stoned to death. I'm not going to have her publicly shamed. I'm going to have two people here. We'll divorce. We'll get this over with because he had to divorce a betrothal. 
And so he goes on. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, note these words, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. The leader is here. It lines up with all of these promises. Promise number one, that would be born of the seed of a woman from a virgin. Right there. Why do you think he takes so much pains to explain? They haven't been together. They haven't been together. She's a virgin. This is the seed of the woman. Suddenly, this has nothing to do with the man. It is the birth of a person who has come from God, who is the Son of God, the new humanity. We covered that in week one. But even more so, this is that promised leader who is coming. This new humanity is not just a new human being. He is the new head, the new leader, the new one that we've been longing for. And it is actually God with us. He's Emmanuel. He is actually the Son of God, truly God, born in the flesh, stepping onto the scene of His own creation to say, I'm going to be leader again. I've promised you I'm coming, and I'm here. I am not only that, I'm going to point you back to me. So He is the Savior, like Moses was the Savior of Israel, so Jesus is the Savior, and we are saved from our sins. One of the reasons we symbolize that is going through baptism is it's like going through your own exodus experience. You go through the waters to come out the other side and now boom you're saved that's the picture and so Jesus is our new Moses he's our new leader he's our new prophet he's God in the flesh Emmanuel with us he is the everlasting God the he is the prince of peace he is the one who now sets up this perfection this world that we're looking for we'll get to that next week but you need to see right now that this is the leader that we've been waiting for jesus is this one who has come to lead us and transform us to bring us into this world and this should bring us a thrill it should have brought israel a thrill they should have been pumped and excited the leaders here the messiah the anointed king the anointed leader he's here but they didn't as John would write in his biography, the best friend of Jesus, he would say this. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Well, Jesus is the one that we're looking for. We can't thrill to it because not even Israel received him. Not even Israel took him in. They rejected him. They crucified him because Jesus wasn't the leader they expected. They expected a leader who was going to deal with the immediate issue who's going to deal with Rome, who's going to give them power, who's going to take their oppression and give them the ability of power, who's going to take them who were a beat down, abused people, once were slaves, been exiled, they've been persecuted and overwhelmed constantly. This leader's supposed to come. It's going to be our God who shows up and he's going to take over the world for us. That's not what Jesus does. See, Jesus doesn't defeat Rome. Um, he doesn't give us what we look for. In America, we look for a leader, honestly, who's going to bring equity, who's going to bring equality. We look for a leader who is going to pull uh, people together and bring an economic revival, who's going to be a, a moral leader and, and protect the churches and let things grow and become awesome. He's going to give you freedoms that you've never known before and break down boundaries and barriers, right? These are all the thoughts that we have. We need a leader who's going to do that. 
And so when we talk about Jesus being the leader we need, it feels so strange because he didn't conquer the enemies we want him to. Jesus conquers ultimate enemies, but he doesn't conquer what looks to us to be the real enemies that seem to be immediate enemies. And so the dirty little secret, as my wife says, is that nobody really wants Jesus as their leader. Let's be honest, we don't want him to be that leader because he doesn't do the things that we want him to do. We don't want a leader. I want to be the leader. You want to be the leader. We want to kind of have the rule over our lives. That's America, man. If this was preached in a different context, I'd say you want to follow your leader. You want to make sure your king is king because he's your champ. He's your God. He's your being. Whatever it is, you don't want to push, set Buddha aside. You don't want to set Muhammad aside. You don't want to set Allah aside. You don't want to set these aside because that's your leader. But Jesus is the leader. And we reject him because he's not the leader that we're looking for all the time. And yes... It may not look like he's going to heal your marriage. It may not look like he's going to give you the equality you've always longed for. It may not look like he's going to help you overcome that economic situation. It may not look like he's going to help us in the middle of a pandemic. But let me just be honest. Don't reject Jesus because it looks like he didn't defeat the enemies that you think exist, but he did because he, he eliminated and defeated the ultimate enemies. And it's these ultimate enemies that had to be dealt with so that peace would be brought about. That's why in week one we talked about what he went through and and what he defeated in death and what he went through and what he defeated in sin last week. And what he is doing now is he is the leader who's calling us because he's defeated the ultimate enemies. You see, Jesus is the perfect leader. He's the perfect leader with perfect character. He is the one who has never sinned. We saw this last week. And that means that you can dig and dig and dig and you will not find sin in Jesus. What you will find is one who is confident. You will find one who is the leader. You will find one who never, ever did opposite of what God told him to do. He's the perfect leader. He is the one that we can example ourselves by years ago. And this is an awesome opportunity to just kind of hang out with my friend in his apartment complex. And as we're walking by, there was a group of men sitting out and just talking. And we said hi to them. And we ended up finding out they were Muslims. And we started getting into a conversation. What's awesome is while they were culturally just Muslim, they explained all of their behaviors by stories about Muhammad. I loved it. It was fascinating. They're like, yes, well, you know, Muhammad, peace be upon him. And then they would tell this story about how he did this thing when he left Mecca and this, all this stuff. And that's why we're going to do what we're going to do. And I'm like, wow, they get how their leader examples for them how to live better than many of us do. I mean, you wouldn't walk into a boardroom and go, you know, well, Jesus, when he approached the situation with his disciples and they were all kind of like fighting over who's going to be the least, and you know who's going to be the leader, the servant of you all. Yeah, because Jesus was a servant, and that's how we choose to live. We're going to be here to serve. What would happen if our language switched like that to where we were truly talking about Jesus as the one who is this perfect leader of character because that's what he is? What if he was your perfect leader of character when you got onto the internet and you were posting? And maybe, yes, he was confrontive, but he did so in a caring and loving way. Maybe he did so, but he engaged, and then he walked away from the toxic, and he didn't engage those. What if we followed his attitudes and his character amidst these things? You see, this is the beauty of what Jesus is with perfect character. He challenges us to be changed. He challenges us to be different. And this is because he's the perfect leader as the perfect champion. I love that. He's the perfect champion as well. You say, what's champion got to do with this? Well, the ancient world always understood you had a king and a leader because they were your champion. 
man, you got behind that guy because he was going to defend your nation. He was going to call people to arms. He was going to inspire people to that greater vision, and he was going to make it happen. That's what a champion does. They march out with that sword. They are that brave heart, right? They were the William Wallaces of our world, marching forward, taking whatever it came. They were going to take the front line and lead people forward. That is a leader. And that is the great leaders that people follow in our world. They were the champions. David defeated Goliath. He was the champion. He became the leader. You find Moses defeats Pharaoh and brings them out. He's the leader. Joshua, he's the leader, brings them out. All of these leaders did great things and delivered on their promises, which made them their champion. When they were the champion, people galvanized behind them. Well, here's the thing. Jesus is our champion. He is our champion over the ultimate issue of death. Guys, think about that. He rose from the dead. He defeated death, and he's the champion. Death can't take him down. Death hasn't defeated him, and death will not defeat those who follow him. We are in that new humanity. We are born again into his kingdom. Man, we have a defense against death, and that should change our perspective in life. That should change how we approach all kinds of things. It should change how you fear the pandemic or how you fear disease or how you fear death itself, realizing that it ultimately will not take you down. No matter what happens to you, you will live and Christ will support and defend you. He is the one of who has given life and will defend you against death. That changes how we live ultimately. I don't have only one life. I don't have to get everything done here now. Man, I want to, but I have a life extended into a new universe we'll talk about next week in which fulfillment is going to be there because Jesus has overcome death. I don't have to fear whether or not I'm a success or not on this side of the, of the world. Uh, when somebody dies I don't have, and they're a Christian, I don't have to mourn like the rest of the world does. I have hope I'm going to see my mother again. I have hope I'm going to engage and get to talk and hang out with her and see her at her best because she was a follower of the champion Jesus. And that's the thing that I want you guys to grasp. When he's your champion, it changes the way we approach life. It changes the way we attack things. He's the champion over sin. Right on the cross, he bore our sins. He defeated sin. He took away the sting and the judgment of sin. There's no condemnation for us in Christ Jesus. As it says in 2 Corinthians, For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. There's Jesus' sinlessness. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus overcame our sin. He is our champion. How does that change your temptations? Man, if you're struggling with anger and Jesus is champion over anger, man, follow his lead. Help him guide you. Go to him. Say, Jesus, help me now. I need your help. Show me how to win. If you're being tempted with lust, if you're being tempted with some kind of desire, some kind of gossip, maybe being tempted to feel like a victim, maybe being tempted to walk in a way that is that is contrary to the ways of God and you want to just crush somebody, go to your champion, Jesus. He's leading you and he's leading you in victory away from sin, into righteousness, into peace, into truth, into to joy. Follow him. Follow him. He has conquered sin. You see, it conquers an ultimate and it deals with the immediate. It will deal with your marriage right now as he will lead you away from the sin that's dividing your marriage, away from the sin that's dividing your family. He will lead you to be the self-sacrificial one. And that's the beauty of having a leader who can truly lead us. And he's here to lead us now because he's overcome the ultimate. Yes, Jesus is the champion of death. He's the champion over 
sin. He's also the champion over Satan and the enemy world. He's the champion over all the gods. Colossians puts it this way when talking about the cross. And you, Colossians, you church, you and I, we were dead in our trespasses and the uncircumcision of our flesh. And God made, a, made alive with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses. Your sins are gone, right? He did this by canceling the record of dead that stood against us with its legal demands. So he canceled it up. Well, how did he do that? He says he set it aside, nailing it to the cross. So Jesus on the cross takes our sins, removes them completely, and he disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. What? Yes, he disarmed them. He took away their weaponry. What can they do to you if you're going to come back from, from the dead alive? They can't kill you. You're immortal. They can't make you sin because you have Jesus triumphing over sin. They can't separate you from God. All their weaponry is gone. You know the God of truth. You know the God of righteousness. He leads you in a procession of victory. And they can't do anything about it. You don't have to listen to the temptations. You don't have to listen to the lies anymore. You don't have to listen to those gods that you think you have to obey. From the God of success and the God of of prowess, you don't have to listen to the God of power. You don't have to listen to the God of money. You don't have to listen to the God of quality or the God of sex. You don't have to listen to these beings anymore. You don't have to listen to the God of partying. You don't have to listen to the Buddha. You don't have to listen to Allah. You don't have to listen to Zeus or any of the other beings out there. He has conquered them. Jesus is king. Jesus has won. The other gods and all their powers have been submitted. They have been disarmed and they are dealt with. And so we walk in victory behind Jesus. Don't don't get confused. He's our champion. Man, you want to follow the, the hero, the victor, the champion. Follow Jesus. He's the one who's done it all. He's the one who's overcome the ultimate situations and set us free. So, look, I get it. We have our champions today. We have lots of things people want to follow. Um, I'll just, and, and we make our strange ways of showing it off. And the archaeologists dig into the ground and they find giant statues of their gods and their leaders, of Caesar, Augustus, and Octavius, and then Zeus, all lined together. I think it's funny because one day I was uh, at a birthday with my son at Legoland. And we walked down into a section where they got these busts made out of Legos, little heads made out of Legos. And they're all Star Wars figures. And I was just thinking to myself, it'd be so funny if suddenly a great mudslide came through and covered all of Legoland up and a thousand years later, archaeologists come in and dig it up and what they discover are these, these Lego heads of these, uh, these mythic beings. And they're like, oh, these are their gods. And I don't think they'd be far from it, far from correct. I mean, you think about the fact that people venerate Jedi, they venerate Yoda, they, they, they love to run after these, these Star Wars people as if they were their gods, as if they're their examples, their champions. We do this in other countries, with, like I said, the Buddha and others like that. Guys, the question is this, if your heart became a place that archaeologists dug up one day and they were able to see the, the champions you've laid in there, well, who would they find? Would they find that it is a sanctuary to Jesus, that it is a a monument to Him? Because what I'm going to tell you is that behind every hero you enjoy on earth is a virtue or is is a power that Jesus holds. 
I've told this story before, but I sat down and I did a whole list of all my heroes throughout my life, um, whether it was Thomas Edison or Nikola Tesla or whether it was J.R. Tolkien, C.S. Lewis. All, and when I dove into what made them my heroes, what we discover is that all these things, the creativity, the ability to build and the ability to make something new, to bring about a world, we're all in Jesus. Jesus is my hero. Who's my champion. And that means we don't need to put our total trust in earthly leaders. Yes, we have to trust our leaders. Yes, but we have to get to call them to a greater account because every leader, everyone who's there, good, bad, decent, indecent, it doesn't matter what, what side of the aisle they're on, whether they become dictators and all that stuff. It's just, here's the thing. We don't have to trust them with our total trust. We don't put it all in them because we have a leader who has already got victory over all those leaders. We have Jesus Christ. Notice how Paul says it in Timothy. In 1 Timothy, he says, Our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the blessed and only sovereign, the only sovereign. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of all the lords. He alone has immortality. He dwells in unapproachable light. He's the one uh, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. In other words, he said, this is the ultimate God. This is the ultimate one that we can, we follow after and we know there's no other king. There's no other Lord. There's no other president. There's no other leader. They all have to stand before him. Whether they know it or not, every person in Congress, every person in our California government, every mayor, every pastor, every CEO, every leader, every person sits under the leader of leaders, the sovereign king, Jesus. And therefore, if things go crazy or wacky, we have a king to petition. We have a court higher than the Supreme Court. We have one who we ultimately look to, and we will not despair. We will not fear, because at Christmas, we were given the leader we've all longed for. He's here. And we can celebrate. And so don't be ashamed to follow and celebrate our champion. Don't be ashamed to put Jesus first and toot your horn about it and talk about him and bring him into your boardroom and bring him into your classroom and bring him into your political arena. Don't fear to bring him up on your Facebook page because he is our champion and we need to follow him. He's overcome death. He's overcome sin. He's overcome Satan. And we have a God who's come to live amongst us to lead us in procession and because he is our champion he is our leader he is our victor and we need to sing our songs about him we need to praise this god who is leading us and saved us this new adam who's made us into a new humanity who's taken away our sins who's overcome our death who gives us a promise of a new universe this is the king of kings the lord of lords the one we celebrate on christmas read the story celebrate his name this is what christmas is all about because everything has been been made new because Jesus has come. And that's what you need to leave celebrating and just in wonder over. We have a leader, the promised leader. He has come and he's leading us in to victory. Amen, church? Here's the thing. You may be someone who's longing for a leader. You may have picked up gods. You may have made a religion of your own. But there is one who is ultimately God and only one, and that is Jesus, and he has come. And you may be like, ah, how do I deal with that? I don't know what to do. Or maybe you're convicted that, yes, you've walked away from that leader, and it's time to come back. Well, here's what you can do. 
You can return to him or you can turn to him and he will invite you into his kingdom under his leadership. He will bring you into the new humanity. He will make you new, forgive you of your sins, overcome your death, promise you eternal life, and he will bring you back into a government, into a world where peace never, ever stops. This is the promised gift. You don't earn it. You don't clean up. You just receive it. And today I want to give you that chance to receive it right where you're at at home. If that is you and you are ready, you're like, I need to come back or I need to make this right. I need to, I need to be right with the leader who I've been looking for. Then let's meet him right now. Let's come back to him right now. Just bow your heads with me where you're at and just say, Jesus, I want to trust you as my leader. I trust that you've taken my sins and evils on the cross. I trust that you defeated my death and I trust that you've defeated the gods of this world and Satan. And I ask that you would be my leader, my God. I'm ready to follow you. Would you lead me now through life, lead me all the way into your kingdom, into heaven? Trust you. I ask this in your name. Amen. You're saying Jesus is your leader. You believe that he forgave you of your sins and you've trusted him with all your heart. I want to welcome you into his family, into his kingdom. We want to help you. If you made that decision right now, would you just let somebody know there's a way if you're watching this live to click right there on the right with that hand raised and we will uh, connect with you. Or you can simply text to us BEGIN at the number at the bottom of the screen. And that way we can get you some information. We can answer you some questions. We can help you out. Some of you are saying, but I'm only starting. I don't know what really really to do about this. I'm curious, you've, you've piqued my interest. How, how do I go further? We would ask you to connect with the church. You can text the word EXPLORE to that same number. And what we will do is, is begin to connect with you. We would love to get you into something called Starting Point. We would love to get you into a place and it's a group that you can ask questions. They've got Zoom meetings, they've got all these options. And you can begin to ask questions about this Jesus, questions about his historicity, whether he's real, all that stuff is dealt with. You can be in a group of people, of like-minded people who are ready to learn more. If you're ready to explore Jesus, we're ready to explore him with you. And we hope that you'll enjoy us. Otherwise, church, let's get out there and let's live for Christ. He has loved us greatly. We have an amazing leader. We get to live for him. We get to share him. And I pray God will bless you as you do so. Let's enjoy this season because everything has been made new.